I want you to think about this for a moment. Darkness. When you need to be able to see, darkness can be really frustrating. When you need to be able to see, darkness can be really intimidating. In the darkness, your fears tend to be made more intense. You're really not sure what's going on around you. It really does leave you at times feeling weak and vulnerable. I'm reminding you, that's what God says this world is like when it's not connected to him. A world in darkness, a world of lostness, a world of brokenness, a world of hopelessness. But for a lot of us in the room here today, there was a moment that an encounter happened. You were introduced to this one named Jesus, the light of the world. And when you turned to him in faith, the light came on for you. Now, by the light coming on for you, I don't mean that you could see everything that you needed to know. It wasn't like all of a sudden every answer was clear for you, but what you could suddenly see is who he is and how much he loves you. The cross became clear. His love for you became clear. And suddenly, you could begin to move. You had some freedom. You had some life. And you know that with that came this call for you to go back out into the darkness because a world's still in darkness, but you now know the light of the world, and you are called back out into the darkness to spread this message of hope. I'm asking you to consider, though, what happens when we say, you know I kind of like it here in the light. In fact, I, I like it when I get to be around more people who are in the light. I don't like going back out into the darkness. I like being with the church. I like being with his people. You know that it feels better when the lights are on, right? That's better. And I'm telling you, it's kind of the same way when we gather with God's people, when I gather with God's people, whether it's a Bible study or it's life team or whatever it is. I mean, this, this feels more safe, right? This feels safer. This feels more comfortable. This is really where I would rather be. Can I give you a statistic? Um, statistics are crazy in regards to many people who meet Jesus within three to five years of meeting Jesus seem to be no longer connected to people who are not. They're connected to him, but over a period of time, they're not connected to other people who are still in darkness who are not connected to him. Now, by connected to him, I don't mean that we don't know some people. We know the people, but there's just not a connection there. When we stay here 
in the light where it's safe and we just keep our distance from the darkness, it makes it much easier to become judgmental about what's going on out there. And then before you know it, the questions we're asking are, I wonder why the church doesn't make a better impact in the world. Or some people even, does this Christianity thing even work anymore? I'm saying to you, that's just like walking in the darkness. And that is a long, long way from what it means to really follow Jesus. And it's a long, long way from what it really means to live like you're loved. All right, let's, let's help them out a little bit. Let's get, some, let's get some light. Everybody deep breath, everybody good? Everybody good? I want it to feel that way for you today. I want it to feel that way for you in this series. See, we've been marching through the Bible learning that there is nothing more powerful than being loved. Nothing. Nothing more powerful than being loved. And when that love comes from God, who loves you perfectly, he doesn't love you in the conditional way that everybody else on the planet tends to love you. When he loves you and you know it, that love cannot be contained and you will live it loud. So that's what we've been learning. What does that look like? What does it mean to live like you're loved? And so we're in week three, so I'm just going to catch you up real fast. The, the first one, anybody remember what week one was about? We begin with what? Prayer. We begin with prayer. Why? Because this is about dependence on God. We're not going to make impact in anybody's life unless that is sourced by the power of God. What's this whole thing about? It's about being loved by God. Well, prayer is that opportunity connecting to his heart to be able to, to fellowship with him. We discovered that prayer is really a life. It's your life that prays. It's your life that acknowledges and depends upon a God who loves you like crazy. All right, come on. Dad mentioned it earlier, but I'm really pushing you to get into this thing that we're doing together as we're reading through some scripture and praying through to Easter, all right? And I've heard some really cool testimonies this week of people saying, thanks for that. Um, if you didn't get one, I, mean, I encourage you to stop by, get a sheet um, on, on my Facebook page every day, putting on the, the scripture for the day that you can read through and then pray through and then write a few things down. And, and we're just learning how to read and listen to what God's saying to us in prayer. I encourage you to do that. I, I heard somebody say, you know, sometimes, honestly, what happens, I'm reading through and with, with, I get interrupted. They said, but I've learned in the day, I just go back. I just pick right back up with where I was. And I love that because isn't it true? Most of us look for any excuse to go, well, I can't read through all that and pray and write something. And I just love that hard. It's like, if I get interrupted and I have to walk, I'm just going to pick it back up. I'm encouraging you. Dig in. Let's do that together. You will be able to tell people who don't just say they pray, but people who really do pray. Week two, somebody give me what week two. Anybody remember? Listen to needs of others. That's right. Listen to needs of others. When I live like I'm loved, really loved, then I don't have to live for myself. I get to live for the one who loves me, and then in turn, I'm putting the needs of others first. All right, so begin with prayer, listen to the needs of others, 
And here's the one for today. Ready? This is today. Eat. That's it? I thought there'd be a lot more celebration, amen, something today. I'm going to try to get eat. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, really? No, really. Eat. I'm talking about eating with others. And, and I am unapologetic in telling you that, that I feel incredibly qualified to talk to you about this topic. <laughs> I do. I feel like I've done my research. I really do. Even this week, I feel like I've done my research. I feel like I've put a lot into this, many years of extensive study. And um, I, I'm really excited about what, what I'm going to give you today. Um, I even wore, I guess this is going to become t-shirt series. I didn't really plan that going in. Um, but I got another t-shirt that really works. It says, Jesus saves. All right, and obviously, can you tell? This is the table setting. Can you tell? But there's a part of it that you may not have known of the story. I mean, apparently, nobody puts it in the Gospels. It's kind of embarrassing, but I, I guess near the end of the meal, some, a piece of baklava, something got stuck, and thankfully, Jesus knows the Heimlich well, I guess. You see it in the middle? <laughs> I think that's great. I think that's great. I want to talk about eating. And I want to talk about how Jesus talked about eating. Now, seriously, if you go back to the Old Testament, first part of your Bible, there's a book in the Old Testament named Daniel. Got some really, really cool stuff in there. You should read it. I mean, there's stuff in Daniel that the greatest film writers can't match in terms of some things that he sees and, and just how it unfolds. It's, it's just some vision stuff that's just unbelievable, all right? In the book of Daniel, though, he describes the one whom God is going to send. God's going to send this one, a deliverer, and God's going to give him authority over all the nations. And the phrase that he uses to describe this one whom God would send one day was the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Did you know that in the Gospels, what Jesus used to describe himself more than any other phrase was that phrase, the Son of Man. And so when he used it, he's saying, here I am. Because all those people, at least those who had grown up in a Jewish culture, they, they knew the book of Daniel. They knew that story. They knew about the Son of Man who would come to deliver the people. And Jesus is saying, I'm here. I'm here. And so in the Gospels, Jesus will use this phrase, the Son of Man came. The Son of Man came. Right? He's saying, I'm here. For example... Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He's saying, look, the one you all been looking for, I'm here. But maybe the mission is a little bit different than what you've made it out to be because you thought this was all just about a political move and, and God was going to send somebody to conquer all the other nations on your behalf. But I've come with a greater mission than that. It's got so much to do with your heart. And I've come to step into the darkness and to seek and to save 
those who are lost. Which, by the way, we who follow him, we are given same calling, same mission. Mark chapter 10, another place. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How good is that? He goes, here I am, son of man. But you know what? I I didn't come that that this is all about me. He says, I I have come in humility that I have chosen to put the needs of others first. This is not about me being served. This is about me serving others. Again, we who follow him, this is what we're called to do. But I set that up to give you really the third example. And, And this one is interesting to me. You ready? This is what Jesus, the Son of Man, came eating and drinking. That seems a little different than the other two. I mean, to seek and to save the lost, that's like big purpose, mission, got it? Not to be served, but to serve others. I mean, that's big mission, purpose, got it? But the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Now, I've heard people say, well, I think all that means is we're talking about... I lost my microphone, didn't I? Shoot. Time out. Time out. It's a good thing we're family. Here we go. All right. I've heard a lot of people say, well, what Jesus really means by that is he's God... But now he has chosen to put on skin. He's stepped into the neighborhood. So he's fully God and he's fully man. That means now he's got to eat to stay alive. Right? Because if you're human, you got to eat and you got to drink to stay alive. All right. I do think that's true in the sense that he was fully God. He's fully man. So he's got to eat just like you do. But I don't think that's all this statement was about. And the reason I don't think that's all this statement was about is because of the rest of the verse. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, this is Jesus talking, you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In other words, this is not just a point where they are saying that Jesus eats and drinks. Apparently, Jesus enjoyed a meal, like really enjoyed it, because they're accusing him of going too far. They're accusing him of going too far with the eating and the drinking. Now, I want to clarify, do I think Jesus got drunk? No, because in the Bible, drunkenness is sin. For anything else to own you, Right? So to, to be drunk means that I've uh, too much alcohol. I'm under the influence of something else owns me. To be owned by anything else, that's sin. Did Jesus ever sin? No. So do I think he got drunk? No. Do I think he was a glutton? No. But apparently, he really did enjoy sitting down with people to eat and drink. Even those that everybody else recognized to really be like the worst of the worst. 
And they were gluttons and drunkards. And so if Jesus is sitting down with them and he's actually eating the food and he's actually drinking something, and you know what? He must be one too. That's what happened. And so this statement, he, he's accused of doing so. Now, here's what I want you to see out of this. This is what I want you to grasp today. This, this is so, this is not like some big emotional sermon today, right? We're not, I don't think, we're all going to leave with tears rolling down our face or whatever. But this is just so eye-opening to me. One of Jesus' most frequent and effective strategies was enjoying good food and drink and getting to know people around the table. That was one of his most frequent and effective strategies. Let me show you something. Actually, I'm not going to show you. I'm just going to tell you. You just listen for a second because I want you to get this. I'm just going to take the gospel of Luke, all right? Just the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 5, Jesus is at a dinner at a tax collector's house. We'll talk about that more in a bit. Luke chapter 7 he is anointed. Remember when they anoint his, his feet with the, with the oil? He's anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. That's where it happens. Luke chapter 9, he feeds the 5,000. I mean, now we're cooking, right? This is better than Sanzetti's. I mean, we're talking full buffet going on here, right? I mean, a big meal. We got it going on. Luke, Luke chapter 10, he eats at the home of Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 11, he condemns the Pharisees around a meal. Luke chapter 14, he calls people to invite the poor to eat with them. That happens in the context of him eating with people. Luke chapter 19, he invites himself to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. Luke chapter 22, last supper, all right? He's with his disciples. Try not to think about the choking part, all right? But he, he really is. He's, he's with them. And I'm telling you, that was not tiny little crackers and shot glasses of grape juice. It was a meal. It was a meal. After the resurrection, he's walking the road to Emmaus with two people. And it says it was only after they broke bread together that they recognized who he was. And then the next morning, he fixes breakfast on the beach for the disciples. How heavenly is that? You understand what I'm saying? One of Jesus' most frequent and effective strategies was enjoying good food and drink and getting to know people around a table. We have a way of making being on mission so crazy complicated we do now don't get me wrong sometimes being on mission is difficult it really is sometimes being on mission is dangerous it really is sometimes it means traveling long distances like some of our teams are going to do this week but thank god they're willing to do that we're going to have 20 something students who are going to get on planes and fly to taiwan to be able to step into public schools and by teaching english they're going to turn the light on and share the truth about who jesus is by the way while you're praying this week for them go ahead and thank god for them too how cool is that to have 20 something students who will take their spring break some of y'all remember what you did on spring break, and it wasn't connected to Jesus, right? They're going on spring break to share Jesus with people on the other side of the world. Sometimes that's what it takes. 
But Luke describes the mission strategy that Jesus used most often. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And here's the power in that. Jesus knew real impact requires connection. Real impact requires connection. And a meal is the opportunity for connection. I believe it was the theologian Miranda Lambert who said it this way. Because I heard Jesus, he drank wine, and I bet we'd get along just fine. He could calm a storm and heal the blind, and I bet he'd understand a heart like mine. It's not as far off as you think it might be. Yeah. So I just want to, as we kind of, the second, just wrapping this around, I just want to show you one of the stories. I want to show you one of the stories. I want to show you how Jesus did it. And then I want to challenge you to follow him. Mark chapter 2, we're going to read through this. So if you want to follow in your Bible, you can. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Um, here's, here's how the story unfolds, all right? Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw... Levi, son of Alphaeus. Now, you also know him as Matthew. So when you read this story in Matthew's gospel, you'll, you'll see the word, the, the name Matthew. Same guy, all right? Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Levi, or Matthew, was a tax collector, which A tax collector in that day was simply viewed as a man who sold out his own people on behalf of the Roman government. That's how they saw a tax collector. He sold them out. See, Levi was responsible for collecting taxes on behalf of the Roman government. And the Roman government had their thumb on the Jewish people. And so he would collect taxes... The key was he could really charge what he wanted to, knowing that a portion of what he took from the people, he had to give to the Roman government. They had their their tax set. But Levi would just kick that up wherever he wanted it to be, so that once he paid the Roman government what was required for their tax, he kept the rest. Everybody wants that guy as your friend right? He kept the rest. And so he has a booth, we're told, a tax collector's booth, which is really how they would do it. They would set up a booth. With the booth came guards, because this is a Roman government thing. And you couldn't pass by the booth without going through Levi. Now, come on. Imagine paying taxes to someone that you feel is ripping you off. That wasn't that hard to imagine, was it, right? (laughs) And doing it under the authority of a a government that that you hate, which I hope that's not the case for you, and I would build biblically shouldn't be the case for you. The context, Jesus has been on tour, and he's doing really well. All right, he's been traveling, he's on tour, 
things like the Sermon on the Mount have unfolded. Um, miracles are happening. I mean, he's doing great. The disciples are just amazed by everything that's unfolding here, right? He, somebody, he's, he's doing an interview on a new news station every night. I mean, it's just, it's big news. Jesus is on tour. Things are happening. And then he gets to this moment that he steps up to this tax collector's booth. Now, I got to think that when people see him do that, there has to be some kind of thinking like, <laughs> this is going to be good, right? Because Jesus, and we've seen him, and he, he, from what we've already seen, man, he is about justice. He's about things being made right. He, he, he's about you know, loving people, not cheating people. And so he steps up to the tax collector's booth, and you've got to believe they think, here we go. This is going to be a good show. Hey, Jesus, remember that, that legion of demons that you put in the pigs before they ran over the cliff? Got another one? Right? Because that's where we put this guy. Right? He belongs right there with the pigs over the cliff. Go ahead, Jesus. They think Jesus is going to put Levi in his place. And he does. He does. When Jesus says, Levi, follow me. Follow me. That's why Levi was made, man, to know this Jesus. This is the place he was made for, to love this Jesus, to follow this Jesus. Some of these guys who are watching are fishermen. That means they aren't at the top of the food chain either. But even they hate tax collectors, all right? Fishermen are not seen as the elite, but, but even they hate the tax collectors. It's like, really, Jesus? A tax collector? We can do better with this. I mean, come on. How about a doctor, right? Call a doctor. Think of the street cred, free antibiotics. I mean, come on. We, we can do better than a tax collector. They never expected Jesus to say to Matthew or Levi, follow me. And I would also add to that, they never expected Levi to leave what he had and follow Jesus. Because tax collectors weren't poor. Tax collectors weren't poor. If they needed more, they just taxed a little more. I mean, it's a pretty good gig. Sure, people hate you. But in the end, you could have all the money you wanted. And he walks away from that. And he follows Jesus, which, by the way, I would encourage some of y'all today, because some of you have been praying for some people a long time, that they would follow Jesus, and you, you're like, oh, my goodness, this ain't never going to happen. Don't you stop praying. Because in their view, if a guy like Matthew, a tax collector, would follow Jesus, whew, don't you stop praying. Watch what happens. Verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. He just stepped up to the booth and said, Levi, follow me. And isn't it interesting that in the next verse, Jesus is already doing what? He's eating with Levi, with the tax collector. And they didn't stop by the restaurant on the way home. They're where? His house. Jesus, is, Jesus, immediately he's at his house. 
having dinner. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Whoa, how'd that happen? Well, somehow, apparently, as soon as Jesus says, follow me, Levi's like, okay, I'm following you, but you know what? We got to eat dinner, so you want to follow me? We'll go to the house, we'll have some dinner. Along with him comes all Levi's buddies. Now, nobody likes tax collectors. So if tax collectors are going to have a party, who are they going to invite to the party? Other tax collectors. That's it. It's kind of like being a preacher. <laughs> a lot of people aren't too sure they want to invite the preacher to the party. So we got to stick together. We have our own parties. That's what happens. All the tax collectors show up and some sinners. It's clear. All right? Now, you understand this house is full of known sinners, right? The cops show up at these people's house every week. They are the worst of the worst. That's how they see it. And maybe, you know, you would still be thinking this is going to be the, like, first come to Jesus meeting. Jesus got them. He, like, got them all in one place, and, and he's just going to set them straight. No, the picture is they love the fact that he's there, and he loves the fact that he's there. And I, you know I'm weird with this, but I just imagine, I mean, the party's going on. Levi's keeping the pizza rolls hot coming out of the oven. I mean, the beer's cold because nobody's had the time to explain to him that you can't have a Jesus party and have beer there too. And so it's going on. The music is loud. Killer system because he's got money, right? And so the, the subs are thumping. I mean, turned down for what? That's good because he doesn't know mercy me yet, all right? He doesn't know. He doesn't know. I think that's what's going on. I do. And the religious people get wind of this. And here's what happens in verse 16. Sometimes I'd probably be better not talking out loud what I think. But here's what it says, verse 16. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's like, well, why do they even care? Why do the Pharisees care whom Jesus eats with? And here's what I'm telling you. It's because they knew the significance of having a meal with somebody. This is not, oh, we ran into each other while we were out and about. Let's stop by, grab a burger. Seven minutes later, we're moving on. So it's because people got to eat. No. In this day... The food wasn't fast. In this day, it would be hours as they would have a meal. They're reclining around a table. This is not grab a burger. In other words, Jesus is making a statement. He's choosing to love. And the problem is, he's choosing to love people that nobody else loves. That'll mess you up. Verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. <laughs> He's like, I'm not here for people who have it all together. Now, the truth is, the Pharisees didn't have it all together either, but they thought they did. He's like, I'm here for the sick people, man. I'm here for the broken people. I'm here for the people in darkness. Like us. That's who I'm here for. A meal still means something if you do it right. It does. A meal still means something if you do it right. Because if you do it right, it slows things down, doesn't it? Anybody remember? Like having a meal where you didn't like have to be somewhere right after it. And so you gathered a group of people, some family, some friends, and I mean, it just kind of slowed your crazy pace down, and suddenly there's an opportunity to be more people-oriented than task-oriented. A meal, when it's done right, communicates um, you belong here. People are included. There's a chance that the, the lonely don't have to feel lonely when that's done right. Strangers can become friends when that's done right. A meal is not just a place to say grace. A meal becomes an opportunity to extend grace. A meal still means something when you do it right. I, we, we had a meal or two this week for our family. I'm not trying to hang out on this long, but this was kind of a significant week for for our family, it was, it was last year on my birthday that, I, that I, uh, we buried my sister. Heck of a birthday last year. And so this year, it was like, what, what are we going to do? I mean, it's like, it's a year, just all the thoughts and memories. So you know what we did? We went to eat. We did. It was like, she would love that. So we gathered, and we just, we went to eat, and we spent... More than two hours just like sitting around and eating some great food and remembering. You know, it was like, it made me think this way. Because like, like if I had like one day back with her, like if, if she was back and I would think of all the things we could do, you know what I would do? We would sit down at a table. That's what we would do. And we'd just eat, visit, talk. Because isn't it true that when you do it right, connection happens there? Love happens there. Healing happens there. See, a meal equals these people matter to me. These people matter to me. It is even from a business sense. There was a study done several years ago from the um, Stanford's Business School that when people were negotiating difficult business dealings, it was incredible what the numbers were. More favorable for both sides when the negotiations happened around a table and a meal. Because there's just something that happens when you put people around the table, even competitive, you know, highly competitive sides. It made both parties listen a little bit more and take the other's perspective. So, who are you eating with? Who are you eating with? That's the question 
that this leaves us with. And if it's only people that look like me, think like me, believe like me, then I am missing a huge opportunity because I'm not following what Jesus has modeled for me. You got 21 shots at this this week, right? At least. That's if you don't count fourth meals, right? I mean, really. Some of y'all are like, well, we don't eat three meals a day. Yeah, you do. You just don't have them in the right. Sometimes they don't all fall at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? But most of us have at least three, right? It might be right before we go to bed, whatever. We're going to eat several times a day. I'm saying you got at least 21 opportunities this week. What could be? Now, I know that just having a meal doesn't automatically mean connection. I know that. You, you can't just go through the motions. And believe me, I, I have sat at the restaurants and watched whole families gather around the table and nobody ever looked up, right? You've seen them. Hopefully you haven't been them, but you've, you've seen them. J just having a meal doesn't automatically mean connection, but if you understand the power of connection, this is a significant opportunity for you to be intentional. You know, there was a day where it, it seems like just the culture itself lended itself more toward these kind of conversations. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to pick something really simple. Let's say it's like you're going to get a gift for someone. You're going to get a gift for someone. Someone you care about, you're going to get them a gift. And so back in the day, it, it might look like this. You would get in your vehicle and you got to stop by the gas station to, in order to get some fuel to do what you need to do. Did, some of y'all don't know this. Did you know that back in the day, gas stations had attendance? They did. And you would pull up to the gas station, they would be like, how can I help you? Yeah, like they talked to you. Like, how can I help you? Need some fuel, how much you need, clean the windshield. I mean, seriously, this happened. Look it up. And a conversation would be, would be had. You, you leave the gas station, you got to go by the bank and get some money. You go by the bank, and regardless of what you did, you had to talk to somebody. You couldn't just drive by a machine and get something out or, or even put something in. Now you can do it on your phone, right? You don't even have to get in your car. It's like deposit, right, withdrawal, whatever you want to do, you can, on your phone. Right? So then you go to the department store. You go to the department store, and there were clerks. who were like, how can I help you? How can I help you? And they, they would help you find whatever you were going to find. And then you would take the gift to the person. That was your choice. You get in your car and you drive to where they live or whatever and you give them the gift. How different can that be now? Right? You drive by the pump, swipe. You don't even have to go to the bank to get what you need now. Right? You just do whatever you want. Online, you got it. You, you go to the store. Actually, you don't even have to go to the store. You just pull up the site on your computer and buy what you want to buy and put in your numbers and hit deliver. Isn't that wild? It's possible to go through an entire day of business and not even have to say hello to anyone. It's possible in our world. We go exercise and we put earbuds in, right? When we speak, it's an email and text. When we leave our homes, it's garage doors and gates. We really do live in a culture that's sort of this, I'll leave you alone if you leave me alone. 
But I'm saying for Jesus followers, that's not your call. And you are called to be an exception. Like intentionally having a meal where when it's done, what your guests are hearing is I'm worth the effort. Jesus came eating and drinking. Lives were changed out of darkness into light. I love this quote that I found. It's by a guy named Tim Chester. He actually wrote a book called A Meal with Jesus. And he he has a quote in there that goes like this. It says, meals bring mission into the ordinary. But that's where most people are, living in the ordinary. That's where we need to go to reach them. See, we always think, I want to be on mission. I want to be on mission. I want to be on mission. I I want to reach out to, to people who don't know Jesus. And he's so right on target, but all he did was read the Gospels and look what Jesus did. He just invited people to dinner. So ordinary. There was a quote that I gave you in week one that goes like this. God changes the world through ordinary people, yielding their ordinary lives to his extraordinary mission. I'm telling you, it's true. We live in a world that's trying to figure out, can, can Republicans and Democrats find common ground? Can, can blacks and whites live together in a culture? Can a Christian family have a friendship with a Muslim family down the street? I'm saying, what do you think Jesus would do? I think he would have dinner. Sometimes the opportunity for a miracle is found through such ordinary circumstances. A meal, an invite, and then an opportunity to connect the dots to Jesus. Now listen to me. If all you ever do is serve up great food, but never connect the dots to Jesus... You, you make the, the menu and you make the invite, but you never connect them to Jesus. I'm telling you, your mission ends with you looking like a loving person in the world that's not very loving. But that's going to end at your gravestone. But if you prepare the meal and you make the invite and where people are in darkness, you introduce them to the light of the world, your mission will extend beyond the grave. And one day, you and they will be seated around a most remarkable table. And Jesus, seated with you. That's what we do. And he's why we do it. So again, today's not an emotional day. It's not. The one thing I was sure of when I was prepping this message is, I do not want to end by singing the song, The Table. Okay? I love the song, but it's like, we ain't ending that way that today. And the other thing I don't want to do is I do not want us to end with the Lord's Supper. It's like because, not I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be irreverent. I'm saying that's that's fantastic. But on a day like today, we have a way of ending like that. And we sort of put this nice bow on it. And it's like today, we don't need to put a bow on it. We don't. We don't need to sing. We don't need to do that. We need to be able to walk out of here today going, this is how Jesus in a most ordinary way, reached out with a most extraordinary love. I'm asking you to go today 
plan a meal, plan an invite, just have some conversation with people who need to know there's hope of the world. You don't have to unpack the entire Roman road in meal one. You don't. Just be a friend. Be their friend. Make them feel like they really matter. Just love them like Jesus would love. And that opportunity is going to come for you to connect the dots to him. You ready? I'm going to pray for us. If you do need prayer after, we're going to be right over here because I realize there are some of you dealing with some things that we aren't talking about today and we'd be honored just to pray with you today, to encourage you today. But I'm going to pray now and encourage you to this week become a dangerous people and it doesn't require getting on a plane. It just requires setting a table. Jesus, it is sometimes we can be, um, we, we are amazing sometimes in how we read the Bible um, that we can sometimes miss the most obvious of things. And it seems to me like this is one of them. Um, we, we really do have a way at times of making being on mission so crazy complicated. We do. We think we don't have enough money and we think we don't know a certain language and we can't take enough time off. Um, I, I think this is clear. God, I, I, I think there are so many circumstances where we see how Jesus did this and I'm asking you to help us to follow. Help us to follow. I'm asking that you would take away all that craziness in our minds. Some of us think that we have to be able to to have a feast. Some of us think that, that the food that we have to offer isn't, isn't good enough or our house isn't clean enough. I'm asking you to frame all that stuff in the context of what we are really talking about here. People who have no hope, who need to see the light of the world. And when they see you, they're not going to evaluate all that other stuff that we tend to allow an enemy to convince us that we're not good enough to simply follow what you've called us to be. God, for some of us this week, it's, it's some hamburgers, some sandwiches, some whatever, but we got neighbors and we got friends, we got people that you love enough that you would go to a cross to die for them. God, give us enough courage to light the grill or turn on the oven or whatever it is that needs to happen this week to begin to truly connect. God, my prayer is that people will come to know how great you are and that your children will again come to realize the joy, the joy of living like we're loved. God, give them a great week. Give them a dangerous week for your kingdom. I love you because you first loved us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you.